0: Christianity gets all the rights. Other religions don't. I think we need to look back at some of the teachings of our Baptist ancestors, right? If we think of Rhode Island, for example, it was the only colony, for example, that would allow a Jewish synagogue to exist. They said, a time is coming when someone's going to have to protect our rights, too. We want to protect the rights of all men. There's an important lesson there for us right now. So as we pray for the persecuted church, let's pray for all the persecuted people and let that cause a softness in our own heart and our attitude towards others because without that kind of softness and without that prayer and love, we're certainly not going to share the gospel with them with any effect, are we? Right? When we speak words of truth, they must proceed from love and care or they'll never be heard. So, I want to encourage us to think of this persecution from that standpoint. I know that um, the discipline of preparing myself for hard experiences is something that has to be cultivated. For me, it's really helpful to think of the Beatitudes as a disciple-making tool. I've used this with tons, with probably 45 to 50 uh, Muslims in their journey to Christ in helping them from the get-go as a summary statement of what's to come, right? Let me explain to you what's coming. Before we go to the baptismal waters, let me explain to you what's coming. I think that's really good discipleship. I think that's Jesus-type discipleship. I think over and over again, He told them, I'm going to go. I'm going to suffer. I will die. This is this is coming. It's good discipleship. We don't do anybody a favor if we pull the punches and just say, you're going to get cookies and you're going to get all the chicken tenders and Chick-fil-A for the rest of your life. It doesn't help anybody. Real discipleship from the get-go prepares them for what's coming. The cost of of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. The sooner we get that into the system, the sooner we start realizing that, uh, wow, this is scary, and on my own, I will never, I'll never make it. Like my student asked this morning, what will I do when they punch me? The time goes quickly But if anything tonight I was trying to emphasize The journey that I went on To even talk about these things It's not an easy teaching It's nothing that anybody wants Nobody wants to go through hard times We certainly don't pray that for our kids But if we're honest If we think of our lives Now that we're a little bit older A little more mature We know that suffering will come We know there will be hard times We know there will be, if you worked in the mission field, there will be betrayals. There will be people who are going to break your heart. Knowing that prepares us to walk forth. And I think Christ wants to cultivate that kind of maturity in us so that we can go the distance. Persecution is not a curse. Part of the journey. It's part and parcel of being blessed. Blessed to enter in to the suffering with others and to walk with others in their very difficult times, as they count the cost for themselves, for their families, and following Christ and counting that cost, lay hold of the treasure. again, I find myself on the sidelines thinking, oh, I'm so worried about you. Don't do it. I don't, 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 don't tell your parents that you're following Jesus. But knowing in my heart the truth, the joy, that there's no other way for them. And knowing that there is a grace that is imparted to them as they walk through that. As they face the consequences. And in doing that, lay hold of the victory, which is their own salvation, and yes, for many, in time, the salvation of their family, of their people, of their nation. There was a time when every single one of you, every single one of you, one of your ancestors did not know Jesus. Every single one of you came from a people who were hard Against Christ Every single one of you Came from a people Who are one through prayer Through courageous proclamation And through the suffering Of someone who would dare Cross into your people And proclaim the gospel Amen. That's your journey That's mine It's good to remember that Let me pull over there And let's have some Conversation. Let me just say a word of prayer and, and let's have some questions and answers and discussion. So, Lord God, thank you. Thank you that your perspective is so much bigger than ours. Thank you that you see the nations. In fact, the nations are like dust on a scale to you. They're like a drop in the bucket. You see us all and you see it all. Your ways are greater than ours. And thank you that in your wisdom and in your love, Lord, You came, you incarnated as our Lord Jesus Christ. You taught us the way, you prepared the way so that someone would come to our home, to our family, and we would know you. Jesus, we have counted the cost and said we are yours. We delight to be yours. Part of that is calling us to intercede and to proclaim that others might have that same freedom, that same opportunity say yes to you, to hear to understand and to say yes to you. Lord, we bless the church global. We bless our brothers and sisters, Lord. In every situation, as they celebrate, Lord, we celebrate with them. As they suffer, Lord, we suffer with them. Lord, give us a deeper love for your people. Deepen in us a love for your church. Oh, that your kingdom truly would We love you, Jesus. Lead our time in our discussion. We pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, friends, ask me some questions. I rambled on. I'm sure half of y'all fell asleep from what I was saying. Forgive me, but ask me some questions, and we'll redeem the few minutes we have
1: left. In a stress situation like Pakistan, what reason uh, do or what's going on in their life? That's a great question. We found over and over again
0: that the gospel is good seed. There is no place on earth where you throw the gospel seed and people will not believe. I've found that in villages on the Afghan border. I've found that from among people who are Taliban fighters. I've met believers from the strangest places. So, what happens is they hear it and the Spirit works in them and they believe. I'm, I'm honestly not surprised at this point when that happens. The battle line and what does increasingly is the the problem globally is formation of church. So if I'm coming into an area like that and you meet people in their circumstance, maybe it's sitting next to them on a bus and they invite you to their home. That happens casually, regularly. Maybe you, you were tired. You went and sat in a mosque and you're sitting next to the religious leader just taking a break and having a conversation, asking about his faith. In every circumstance, especially in where I work in the Muslim world, there's always a good reason to talk about religion, faith, and Jesus Christ. It is an open conversation. Usually, the second conversation, the third conversation, the more intimate it becomes, the more Christ-centered it becomes, the more they want to pull away into a hidden secretive place. And the missiological problem has often been By the time they're ready to place faith in Christ, they're so afraid of the consequences that they'll become secret believers, become like Nicodemus, who would only come to Jesus at night and alone. Instead of shaming people like that, because it's out of our control, we love, we're patient, we pray, we ask that God will give them discernment and wisdom and boldness on how to come out with their faith. But my answer is that people are hungry for the gospel, And it rings true, and people do believe, right? They grapple with, what does this mean to compare to my old faith? Uh, What does this mean for how I'm supposed to live and how I'm gonna introduce myself, where I'm gonna be buried and who I'm gonna marry? Um, The challenge, as I said, is church formation, because that is public, that is public, and that's social, and that's threatening, That's, that's subversive to having church in our village is subversive to have a Protestant or a Baptist church in the Catholic village of Brazil, where I grew up, was subversive. People could be shot for that. So we have to enter into what's going on in a village situation. Here, I can do anything in my na- in my home, and my neighbors don't really care. As long as I don't burn down their house, they don't care. I mean, is that how your neighborhood is? I'm not, I better not make too much noise. But if I want to, you know, roast a goat back there. Or you know, jump around in my sweat shorts, and then, they don't care. But in a village, or in most communal societies still on the planet today, what you do as my neighbor reflects on me and has an immediate impact on my family. So you are not your own, you are we. As so many friends have told me along the way, I believe But you know this is not a decision I can make on my own. This is a decision we have to make as a people. What's the other question? I smiled and I said...
1: Can you repeat the question? The question
0: was, what did you tell your Chinese student today when they asked about what I do when they punched me in the face? That's exactly what I said. Well, what, well, I said, what is Jesus telling you to do? So we unpacked it in a very slow way and we talked about blessing them or praying for them. And it's funny because we, we went around the room saying, what could you do in that circumstance? You could be calm. You could, but I said, it, Jesus never expects you to be strong enough to not punch back. He is going to give you that strength. He, Jesus in you, through his Holy Spirit, will give you what's needed so that you can be loving loving What I used to teach in Kashmir to our church is And again these are people who experience violence Regularly I said It is easy to kill someone Who has hurt your honor It's easy to kill It is hard to forgive The power of the Holy Spirit in you Is to forgive When you become a minister of reconciliation When you step into that situation And you forgive What others would refuse to forgive The gospel will be proclaimed You are demonstrating power and forgiving instead of fighting back. Yeah. Have you found any differences in sharing the gospel with the persecuted churches versus your church? Yeah, and I think a lot of it's cultural, thinking of how how people understand things. In America and Europe, we're very propositional. We want to hear the logic of A plus B plus C. I understand that. And, and for us, it works, we get it. I mean, you walk me through the Roman's road, I'm like, yeah. But you have to understand that other cultures, they, they process things differently, they understand things differently. Um, for example, I was sitting in that same chapel that I about last morning, I had a girl next to me who's Muslim, and she grew up in the US. And so I said, what, is, what does this mean, what does this verse mean to you? And she said, I think it's kind of like, I think it's kind of saying, Keep your enemies Keep your friends closer. your enemies even closer Isn't that what Jesus is saying? That was her framework For understanding Jesus saying to love your enemies it, We're speaking the same language We might as well go to the same high school But somehow she heard him saying Keep your enemies even closer That way you, you know So we're not all hearing the same thing We, we have to have somebody Who's going to contextually Going to walk it through Walk it through in a way that we can understand. And so a lot of that has less to do with persecution, maybe more with learning style. And uh, so there's a lot of work done on that. What i found over and over again is the importance of helping people create a narrative arc, a sense of, of what's happening in the world, right? And helping them understand uh, God's love and creation, you know, the, the freedom we have, the choices we make, the consequences we face, and then God's pursuing. So we tend to walk through um, the presentation of the gospel within more of a storying approach. And you know what's interesting? They found that the learning style for Gen Z, for the kids that are at Baylor right now, is actually not literary. They're, they're not an A plus B plus C logic group anymore. That's that's not how they learn. That's not how they think. Their learning style is actually much more similar to a tribal person maybe in Togo. They're oral people now. We are an oral society. Most of our knowledge comes from scrolling and TikTok. (laughs) So think about it. The way people learn today is different. And so the way we share the gospel at Baylor, for example, if you go through the training that we do, we do something called the three circles. Has anyone ever heard that before? simple, it's easy, but what are you doing? You're giving people a narrative framework to understand how did we get here? Why are things so bad? <laughs> things are bad, aren't they? I was like, yes, things are bad. Why? And you walk them through the story of creation. So it's a different approach to the gospel based upon the culture that we're in. So in the persecuted church is the same way. One thing I would say about the persecuted church is they appreciate people of discretion and wisdom. <clears throat> Oftentimes, when, I'm, when I was in places, especially we sometimes go on what we call loop 10 trips, where we'd go into an area where we didn't know anybody. We would literally pray and fast, and we'd go into an area and just say, Lord, we're going to sleep wherever you want us to sleep tonight. And we'd watch and wait and see if God would open the door for us. But in that, several times I had people say, before I invited you, I actually watched you. I wanted to see how you are going to behave, how are you are going to talk to people, before I entered into a conversation with you. So that sense of being, of, of being a person of honor, a person of care, someone who, who might be, um, have an appropriate discretion, uh, I think is very important for the persecuted church.
1: Charlie. Yes. <clears throat> We've experienced that one of the greatest hindrances to people sharing the gospel is a deep fear of rejection. Uh, We all have that longing for acceptance. But the moment we start sharing the gospel, we're open for resistance and rejection. How did the Lord help you overcome not only rejection, but have that desire to go into a village without knowing anyone and just totally have reliance on the Holy Spirit? How did God really get you to a place of where rejection did not penetrate your spirit and devastate you? Thank you for
0: asking. That's a good question for me because I'm your ultimate people pleaser. In, in my flesh, in my natural, I'm all about FOMO, fear of missing out, fear of not being uh, invited to the party, fear of not being liked. I would hate to be offended by you, hate to be misunderstood. And it was interesting because before I came to Christ, as a young man, I was with a friend and I heard some people describe me. He says, James, you don't have to like him, but you got to respect him. Charlie, you don't have to respect him, but you got to like him. And I thought, oh my goodness. That is my character That that is who I was apart from Christ So a lot of my journey in Christ Has been learning how to Overcome that and find that my In Christ is not determined By their acceptance of Me or not Uh, And and so I think there's a deeper question there is, Is at the end of the day whose approval Do I want and so as I come into the approval Of the king and the delight of the king then it becomes less of a transaction where I'm trying to convince you to like me or respect me because it's not really about me anymore. The battle, the battle for so many of us in the original idolatry is to, to stop worshiping me, to stop having me be the center. So when it's no longer about me, uh, then, then conversations become a lot easier. And the second thing, again, I was talking about the, the, the experience of walking in the Holy Spirit. That changed my approach to wanting to talk about people in faith. It wasn't that I was just trying to grab anybody to talk to. It became a, an adventurous, and Lord, you've led me here today. I bet you're doing something. What are you doing here? Who do you want me to talk to? Do you want me to say something to her? Do you want me to just walk around and enjoy your presence and, and just kind of pray and, and trust that you're moving? What do you want me to do? I see a board here, do you want me to write something? Do you want me to, um, I don't know, you know what would what, what, you like? What would bring glory to you? Because I'm on mission with you, and this is your people, this is your mission. So that changed a lot of it too, because if it's not about me, and it's not me getting some quota, I gotta go home and write a report that says, I told 10 people about Jesus today, now I can feel good about myself, or keep my, keep my church happy. When, when those things get out of the way, and it's that sheer joy of saying, I'm going to come into this very beautiful area or neighborhood, right? These very beautiful and lovely people. And I have the incredible privilege of being ambassador for Christ. I'm his representative. I'm the only Christian in this whole market. in that wild? And I'm his representative. I'm the son of the king. I'm going to walk through here and you know, by the power vested in me as a son of the king, I'm going to bless you. And I going to bless you. And wow, I see that you're having a problem with your arm And in our conversation. Can I pray for your arm? Oh, you'd like for me to come to your house to have a cup of tea? Wonderful. I would love to do that. I'm going to carry the peace of Christ with me into your home and have a cup of tea. And you're going to ask me questions, usually about my name. And it's funny, in most of the world, your name gives you away, doesn't it? You know, whether you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim, they're want to know my name. And when you ask my name, you're going to know about my family. Would you yes, my physical family, but also my Jesus family, my my being an heir of the kingdom. So all these things become very natural. But I'd never find myself on mission, I'd never find myself in that village, I'd never find myself walking through Baylor University asking where is God at work? If if I'm not in the Jesus school of discipleship, or He's been training me to daily remember my poverty, my need for a savior reminding me of uh, my, my mourning, my sadness for the sin and for the enslavement of people around me, and even mourning about sin in my own life, things that he wants to deal with of me, or, or reminding me that he's blessed me with a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness, for the things of God, for the ways of God in my life. All of these blessings are things that I'm going to experience, like the hokey pokey, every day, and I want more of them. So that I'll have more grace to go deeper and deeper in each of these to where conversations like that don't seem so threatening anymore. Can I ask anybody else? I ask yes, I have
1: a question. yes, ma'am. Um, you know, we hear
0: about persecution coming to
1: our country, and we
0: Um, so I think there's a couple of different ways One is a personal way And that's more of what I've talked about today Is begin, you know Is it a daily part or a recurrent part of your life That you are praying For the persecuted church And praying for the church of America Do we pray? Second, are we watching And, and as we see things We're praying, we're becoming involved On the structural level Over the past year um, I've had Invitation to engage with some people in D.C. and there are people active in Texas too, who are actively doing things about it, who are who are writing policy papers and are advocating uh, for for uh, these issues in the political sphere. And wow, it's it's fun. I've never been involved with that before, but it's fun to meet people who are passionate about Jesus, but who are in government and who are in in uh, places like that who are. Um, Ensuring that the laws are passed and that, that the right things are, are pushed against, so we can become informed about things like that. Um, so the Religious uh, Religion Freedom Institute is who I've been partnering with. It's an interesting group because it's uh, it's evangelicals like me, uh, but it's also part, closely partnering with Catholics. And where I grew up, that never happened. You couldn't do that. But here, uh, they're 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 forming friendships and they're advocating together they are saying, I know we're different. I know we we have some differences in our our faith. But you know what? We can come together and we can advocate for some of these issues that we believe strongly on. We can work together on these things. So that's been fun for me. I'd love for you to look into that, religiousfreedominstitute.com. So that's a practical, active way, political way we can be engaged. I think that's within bounds of our faith. We have brothers and sisters who, in their minds, they are missionaries To D.C. and to Congress to fight for these issues. They would say the same way that Charlie was called to be a church planter in Pakistan. I've been called to D.C. to do this. And we can pray for them. We can support them. So that's a a, a structural political engagement. There's a personal thing in our own situation. The third element I want to emphasize today is remember that when I advocate for, yes, my own rights... I need to advocate for the rights of the immigrant, the person of a different faith as well. I'm thinking Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists who live in our city. I understand that they they live in fear often too. They they have a fear uh, that that someone might come against them because of their name, because of their culture. So I want to step into a situation, say like that, say, as a Christian, I understand your fear. I know I have many people in my family, my Christian family, who face that too. And I want you to know that I got your back. I'm here with you. If you have a problem, let me know. And Because you have you have rights. In this country, you have rights. And I'm going to fight for you to have those rights. So I think that's a form of witness. For them, they're surprised. Wow, I, I thought you'd be against me because I'm of different faith. No, I love you. And I want you to know Jesus. And even if you don't know Jesus, I want you to live in righteousness. I want there to be safety and protection for you. And who knows where that gospel conversation is going to go. So I, I would just add that element, that we keep that in mind. We keep these, these other minorities. Because everybody's a minority somewhere. Okay? Everybody is a minority somewhere. In May, I was in Afghanistan. Wow, I felt like a minority. I was the only American I saw there. I was under their care. If they, if they wanted to be done with me, I was done. But they treated me with dignity. They asked me questions about my faith, about my family. We talked about a lot of things. I was under their care. And that causes me to think of people here that might feel insecure and to say, Yeah, I'll talk to me. I, I, I got you. Walk with me. Walk with me. And uh, so I think we can be people like that as part of our mindful uh, journey of learning about persecution and fighting against persecution.
1: Any other questions?
0: There's, there's macro-persecution, which is, you know, someone pointing a gun in my face, or I'm going to be hung, or, like, tearing my family up. And then in the United States, we deal with micro-persecution, meaning, like, rejection of friends, or what are some risks that we can take to the the gospel in basic micro-persecution? Good. You know, it's funny because it happens in so many ways. Um, it it was well, also on 15th Street at some point it got to be. Part of it was uh, racial, I was different. I was the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood. Uh, And I was there as a missionary. I was there as part of Mission Waco in the early days. And so we stood for what? Against prostitution, which at that time was open on 15th Street, uh, against drug sales and all the different forms of of, uh, of violence that were happening there. So everybody who saw me knew that I I was with those guys. So that was a form of of persecution, micro-persecution. Um, I think part of it is diagnosing the situation. If you're in a store, if you're in a business environment, you're in a school, and I think this is something we can really do with our teenagers and with, with children that are in school as well, is help them to identify and to name what's going on. So many times they feel that. It can be very subtle. It can be very subtle. Let me give an example that might draw your memory because this is not subtle. So in Pakistan, a friend of mine was a stockbroker. A stockbroker, right? Selling stock, working in an office. When it was tea time, they would bring tea to everyone except him. You know, except everyone except Christian at this table, why? He was a Christian. He couldn't drink from the same cups. He was unclean. That's macro. It's easy to spot that one, isn't it? Okay, let's take it back to maybe here in the U.S., where that's not going to happen. But it's uh, a certain time of the evening or the end of the workday. And all of you guys are going to go somewhere, but she's not going to be invited or welcomed. They're going to intentionally avoid including her or bringing her along because of her Christian faith. Is that persecution? Is it just peer pressure? Is it bullying? I would say that's the beginning of what we're talking about, this micro-persecution, exclusion. I'm not going to invite you into the social. What happens in that social? Friendships are made, alliances are made, plans are made, the next business deal is made, the advancement program is made, and now she is left out. She is now operating at a, at a weaker position within the office because she was not part of the, the socializing part of the group there. So that's, that's my micro. I think part of it is, is identifying that. So for, for Kristen, or if I'm thinking of my, my teenager, helping them understand your, your behavior Your faith has consequences What's happening here Right is what Jesus Was talking about so I think we need to name it And I think that A gives us Some strength it gives us a sense of what's Going on they're not rejecting me Because I'm short or I'm I do not dress the right way no they're they're Rejecting you because of your faith in Jesus Christ And, and that I think brings into brings the Conversation to a deeper level So naming it and identifying it Is a huge part of the journey and then um, I think second kind of within that if there's something that needs to be called a spade spade, we gotta do it, we need to find ways to organize, to bring a parent in, to to voice that to a teacher, to an employer, and to, to say, to say that all across, all across. You that, Baylor? Every semester we have all these trainings we have to go on for belonging. So every business that you know of, every university has this new office called belonging. That's being opened Diversity, equity, inclusion And belonging Right right now that's focused On many areas All of which are important right? As Christians we can say everybody's important God loves every single person But in time Christians and people of faith Are going to be some of those That that DEIB office Is having to protect The training right now is about being aware of people who are of different uh, ethnic backgrounds and racial backgrounds. Just watch it won't be long. some of that's going to be be you know, training on what to do about these people of other religions and one of those other religions is Christianity.
1: We want to thank you for This son of yours Lord thank you that he had Freedom in the Holy Spirit Tonight We just sensed liberty Where the spirit of the Lord is There's freedom There's liberty Lord thank you for um, The kingdom That you've worked into This son's heart and life Thank you that we could hear and sit and listen and learn. Uh, Lord, tonight we wanted to learn of Jesus by listening to one of your sons. And Thank you that we've gone to school tonight. The school of Christ. Uh, Lord, you made it so clear. You you said if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If they reject you, they've already rejected me. Lord, we pray for all of the American church and all of the Western church that still has it pretty easy. Lord, signs of the times are those who are wise can perceive that there's an ongoing resistance for the old. And everything that is established on Judeo-Christian principles is part of the old. Lord, thank you that we are new covenant saints. We are New Testament believers. And Lord, we pray that in these upcoming days, uh, you would bring to remembrance one or two pearls, maybe that Charlie has shared tonight, or that we have gotten in studying in this lesson. I'm being blessed. We are blessed when we are persecuted. Lord, we just really see that as a curse. We have an opposite viewpoint. But would you renew us in the spirit of our thinking? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And Lord, we just pray that we would all experience deep renewal so that we might know what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Thank you for your will happening tonight. And we bless you throughout the rest of this evening, this week, and in this season of thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks. And Lord, in all these beatitudes, because we are blessed in so doing, Lord, we can give you thanks. We can give you thanks. Blessed be your glorious name, Lord. We love you. small groups
0: tonight. We're just gonna meet for about 30 minutes. Uh, One of the groups, Julie, if you can take
1: your group into C2 tonight, and um, Donabeth and Judy, if y'all will join Patty Blake in the office parlor. Is that okay? Y'all team up because your group's